welcome to Shameless Book Club, the book club for smart people who love even smarter books. I am joined as always by my friends and colleagues, Michelle Andrews and Annabelle Lee. Hi. Hi. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Starting really like light and airy this morning. Just like the book, am I right? Oh, That's God. what I like to hear. This month we're talking all about Casey McQuiston's debut novel, Red, White and Royal Blue. McQuiston's book was an instant New York Times and USA Today bestseller, won Goodreads Choice Award winner for Best Debut and Best Romance of 2019 and won Best Book of the Year for Vogue, NPR and Vanity Fair. So what was all the fuss about? Well, the book centred on Alex Claremont Diaz, the son of the first female president of the United States. The story follows Alex and his love-hate, love-hate, love-hate relationship with a British prince called Henry and how their love affair threatened to derail American and British relations. Was it sugary? Yes, it was. Was it neatly tied together like every good rom-com is? Yes, it was. Was the Shameless team divided about how they felt about the book? Yes, we were. Yes, we were. (laughs) We are, of course, going to hear from a handful of you guys, our wonderful Shameless book clubbers, to hear what you think. In this episode, we're lucky enough to be teaming up with the amazing team at GoTo Skincare who are giving away GoTo reading packs featuring some of Zoe Foster Blake's best-selling books along with some GoTo goodies to anyone who gets their hotline message played out on the show. So a big congrats to today's first hotline caller, Hayley. You, along with three others, will be taking home a go-to prize pack today. So let's hear from Hayley, who said the book was a little slow to start, but once it got going, she couldn't put it down. I really loved this month's pick for the book club. It was such a cute love story and I really kind of needed to escape into a book with being in lockdown and everything. It did take me a little bit to get into it, probably about 100 pages or so, but I think that was pretty standard for everyone. But once I got into it, I pretty much finished it in a day. My roommate was a bit worried because I just wasn't speaking to her for the whole afternoon. I just was there finishing up this story. Annabelle, Hayley had an interesting point there. She said it took about 100 pages for her to get into the book, but she also said she thought that was standard for everyone. How did you feel about the start? I didn't know that the first 100 pages were an issue for, I, like I was oh reading. Oh my <laughs> God. I read it in our Shameless Book Club from so many people that they were struggling during the first 100 pages and I didn't get that at all. So what did you love about it initially when you opened the book? That it was really easy to read. The vocab wasn't like super tricky. I don't know, sometimes I get confused at the start of books and it's hard to get into them, but this one I I felt like it was super sugary and it hit me at the beginning and it kind of sustained me throughout the book. There we go, Miss. You felt differently. I hated the first 100 pages. Like, I'm no exaggeration, probably my least favourite first 100 pages of any book I've read in recent memory. I thought it was so unbelievable. I thought the characters weren't fully fleshed out. I felt like I could just imagine someone sitting in a laptop writing these characters that didn't feel at all real. They kind of felt like I don't know, these shadowy, made-up, make-believe people that would just never exist in real world. And I think the main thing that really grated me was the dialogue. I thought the dialogue was so incredibly unbelievable and so incredibly fake. I have an example of this on page 99. I marked this page as I read it because I was like, this, this shows me everything that is wrong with the first 100 pages. So this is when they were, it was like Pez, who is Henry's best friend, was meeting June, Alex's sister. Please do smack me if this is out of line, but you are the most exquisite woman I have ever seen in my life. And I would like to procure you for the most lavish drink in this establishment if you will let me. Like, 
I understand how maybe someone sitting down going, what would a British socialite say in my wildest of dreams? No one would speak that way in real life. I do think that's kind of the point of the book though. I don't think Casey McQuiston is writing this book thinking it's realistic. I mean, it's the most unrealistic book and that's exactly why she wrote it. I think it's really important if you keep reading the acknowledgements of the book too, it gives you heaps of context as to why she wrote the book she did. She said she planned to write this book before Trump won the US election. After the Trump won the election, she really struggled to get words on paper. And then after that, they started to flow and she started writing her ideal. I don't think she's writing a character like Pez thinking, this is a guy that I know. I think she's writing the most exaggerated characters that she can. That said, I agree with you. I struggled with the first 100 pages and it surprised me because I was really looking forward to it. And I picked it up and put it down for about a week and a half, I reckon. Mm. I reckon it took me about a week and a half to get through the first 100 pages. I found it airy and hard to pin down. I think that was it. I think I, I get it. Maybe these characters are all fake and they would never exist in the real world. But me personally, as a reader, I need to be able to visualize the character in my head. I want to talk to you guys because I'm not sure if I was skim reading in the first 100 pages, if I wasn't enjoying the book, so wasn't picking up detail as well as I could have been. I read the first 100 pages thinking Alex was an openly bisexual man and everyone around him understood he was bisexual, including himself, and that Henry was a closeted gay man who had no idea he was gay yet. And then the revelation is around page 120 or 130 when they have that kiss that Henry knows he's gay but Alex has no idea that he's bisexual and that really took me by surprise. Yeah, no, that bit was confusing for me too. I didn't assume that Alex was bisexual and I didn't really understand where Henry was with his identity. Mm. I was confused about how they hated each other so deeply and why they hated each other so deeply. And I think that might have been my issue with the start of the book. I, I kind of have to agree with you, Mish. I wondered if it was because I was reading the book inconsistently and picking it up and putting it down, but I felt like a lot of details passed me by or there was stuff that I got to in the first 100 pages where I thought, was I meant to have known that already? Was this already mentioned? I'm, mm. I feel like I've missed stuff along the way. But when it comes to the we hate each other storyline, you're right, Annabelle. It didn't feel like it was based on anything. And I don't know if this is just showing my naivety, but like does subconscious love for someone manifest in hatred? I feel like I've just spent the last few weeks wondering if that's an actual psychological thing because Mm. all movies and TV shows tell us that often subconscious love, like not realising you're in love with someone, just manifests in outwardly hating them. It's like in 10 Things I Hate About You, when at the start they hate each other so deeply and then it's like we're so in love Mm. and it's kind of like that happened quickly. It felt like a really weak cliche to me and I think what that was was McQuiston needed some kind of narrative device to make sure they kept seeing each other and kind of force them in the same room. So she needed there to be this one big event. In her mind anyway, I think what happened was she goes, okay, I need them to be forced together. There needs to be this event and then they need to kind of repair their bond that's been broken. But I think as a reader, I would have just preferred to actually get their first meeting and to experience Alex kind of grappling with his identity in that moment and it just be that typical boy meets boy scenario where they do get along from the get-go and there isn't this like really intense hatred that seems to have no basis. Yeah, exactly. And I think when I speak about the characters not being realistic, it didn't fuss me as much as the actual scenarios not feeling realistic. Like the scenario at the Olympics where they first met and they ended up hating each other or Alex ended up hating Henry because he said something a little bit off and then Mm. they ended up... just like something bubbled below the surface from there I actually couldn't imagine having that much intense hatred for someone off one very small kind of incident but I do though think that there's complexity that we don't understand because we're all straight women yeah so when I was reading 
that I was confused at the beginning in the first hundred pages. But then later on when I read about what happened with Alex and Liam and how they kind of had a bit of a romantic Mm, sexual relationship and then there was confusion there, it kind of made sense that that hatred was covering something else up. Yeah, true, that there are feelings you kind of don't know how to deal with so they manifest in different ways. Maybe that's absolutely right. All right, our next voicemail is from listener Zoe who says she originally thought this book was something of a young adult novel. I just wanted to say that I thoroughly enjoyed reading Red, White and Royal Blue. I know the community was very divided with this book, but I found it a great escape from the current situation that we're facing. It made me super nostalgic as this writing style was the type that I used to heavily read growing up and I even turned to my boyfriend towards the beginning of the novel and said that I would recommend it to a close family friend who was 14. However, as I kept reading, the book started to get a little more raunchy and I decided that I may have originally misjudged the age bracket for this book. I think it was just what I needed at the moment and I just wanted to thank you for providing us with such an amazing platform and community. All right, let's talk about the fact that it is it does kind of read like a YA novel. Mish, how did you consider like the shininess and the youthfulness of the book? I really loved it. I think once Casey McQuiston kind of hit her stride, which I felt was around the 150 page mark and in the middle of the book, I thought it was super, super strong. I really enjoyed the middle of the book. I think it sung out so much in those pages because she wrote events so well. The one event I don't think she wrote well was the Olympics that you touched on before, Zara. But my favourite parts of this book were the New Year's Eve ball where the first kiss was shared. It was the scene at Wimbledon where the blowjob happened underneath the um, (laughs) royal box. It was the night out singing karaoke in the kimonos. I felt like Casey McQuiston wrote about youthful fun and frivolity so crystal clearly and I felt like it was a beautiful depiction of what it feels like to kind of be young and free and drunk. Don't you think this book would make an incredible movie? That's mm, the whole time making I was thinking. One. Oh really? Yeah. Are they making a movie? Yeah. Yeah. I could so see some scenes in this book as like visual movie scenes. I tell you what I could see really clearly now that you've mentioned that she wrote some events really well. When Alex took Henry to his kind of holiday cabin, yes. I could see the cabin, I could see the lake, like the I could pier. see the movie scene, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Annabelle talked to me about the shininess the youthfulness of the book I mean you told us from the start that you just thought it was a really beautiful easy read and easy to get into how did you consider the youthfulness of it I think this book did a really brilliant job of being really easy to consume but it also didn't make me feel like I was a little child Mm -hmm. like a teenager reading this book because the writing was fresh and it was light but there were also like sexy and also smart (laughs) moments too I think it might have been the sex that kind of (laughs) made it well this is what's always said right that it kind of elevated it from that YA storyline with really R-rated scenes it was a really interesting balance yeah it was a good hybrid wasn't it I want to talk to you guys about the sex scenes I'm not sure if you agree with me on this but I have never ever read a book that talks about man on man or gay sex like this book does and it said a lot to me I think about sexual expression being told almost exclusively through a patriarchal gaze like we're very used to I guess seeing heterosexual sex one way and girl on girl or lesbian sex one way but to see gay sex between men in this kind of really raunchy fun flirty framework was really interesting for me because I genuinely enjoyed it and I don't know what that says about me and how much of the mainstream media I've just been consuming where this was such a deviation from what I'm used to and I loved it. Yeah I felt like I hadn't read anything like it in such a mainstream context and it was a real highlight for me it was really really well written and I think that writing sex well is probably a huge skill I think as well going back to kind of like that youthfulness and the shininess of the book 
I think this was exactly the book that I needed to read at this point in my year. For context, I mean, I started reading this as Melbourne's numbers for coronavirus started going up. It became very clear we were going back into lockdown. The mood was very glum. And having an escapist novel like this, that was almost completely unbelievable, but very, very lovely, was exactly what I wanted to read. Yeah. The one aspect of that that I kind of raised an eyebrow at and didn't quite buy was that I thought Casey McQuiston as an American wrote quite idyllically about American politics and I guess the motivations of American politicians. The framework of Ellen Claremont was very idyllic and altruistic and it was kind of like she's in this position for the good of the people and she wants to be a leader for the good of the nation which I think is quite a juvenile sometimes take on what American politics actually is and then was quite critical of the British monarchy and I'm not saying either is like perfect and pure but it was a weird juxtaposition for me to see the monarchy spoken about in quite negative terms but the US presidency as some like holy grail that is so pure and wholesome and wonderful when I don't think either institution is. I liked the way they set up the US president and that family and that relationship that they had but I do agree they described the monarchy in a really negative light and it was like so starkly different that it was a little bit jarring. Yeah well it was almost completely obvious but when it comes to US politics, it comes back to my original point, I think, is that she did start writing this after Trump was president. And I feel like she deliberately wrote it in a very idealistic way, not because it was the world that we live in, but the world that she wanted us to be in. I did want to say, I did see this book in our book club described as kind of immature or a bit silly. I understand the sentiment of the book being young. Like the book is certainly young, but I just refuse to accept the premise that it's stupid. I think books like this are designed for a certain type type of reader particularly ones like me in that moment who wanted something escapist, romantic, something easy, a huge distraction from what was going on in the world. And I think that there should never, ever, ever be any shame in that. And I think this is where what we haven't really touched on yet is that chiclet and books like this can often get such a bad rap because other people deem them as stupid. And I don't think everybody has to read this book and love it at all, but I think it can breed a lot of shame in readers if we're going around talking about books like this as completely immature and completely stupid and without purpose because I think that shows a real lack of understanding as to why some people need these books in their lives. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's what I'm so excited about this book club, that we can go from speaking about Girl, Woman, Other last month to Red, White and Royal Blue this month, and then another quite deep and meaningful book next month. I think it's great that we can kind of do both and there's no shame in either. Coming up after the break, our best and worst characters, plus what we thought of that twist and the book's ending. But first, a word from today's sponsor. All right, guys, it is time to hear from book clubber Jen, who had this to say about some of the characters in the book. I really loved this month's book club pick. It was something really light and fluffy and cute to help us take our mind off the state of the world at the moment. I really liked the texting and the emails between Henry and Alex. Definitely that was the best part of the story as you got to know a bit of their inner lives and inner feelings a bit better. My only complaint is that it did sort of read a little bit like fan fiction at times. The characters were a little bit too stereotypical like Alex was really perfect and Henry was really angsty. But overall, it was really light, fluffy and fun. I read it in two days and I definitely would be recommending it to my friends. Annabelle, talk to me about the characters that you loved, the characters you didn't love so much. And do you agree that it read a little bit like fanfic? 
Yeah, but I loved it. I'm gonna sound <laughs> I'm gonna sound so basic and say that Alex and Henry were my favourite characters. I could picture them so clearly, mm. and I'd like pictured them as actors in my head because I I'd painted it as a movie in my head. But who's playing them? Okay, so <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. I thought you'd never ask. Alex, I pictured as, you know, Timothy Chalamet? Yes. In, and it might be because he was in Call Me By Your Name. But the only thing is that Alex is Mexican, half Mexican. Yeah, he is. That's probably something I should have considered in my <laughs> mind. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Henry, I pictured as Joe Alwyn. Yes. 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 Annabelle Lee. I've done that it. Is brilliant. I've done it. I've cast them. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the periphery characters I didn't get. Like there were mentions of certain characteristics in characters like Nora and Amy that could have potentially been explored, but they weren't. Mm. Like with Amy, it was mentioned that she killed a bunch of people. (laughs) Literally, she was mentioned like three times in the book. And one of the times they said, oh, she's really ruthless and she kills a lot of people all the time. But honestly, her character could have been completely removed and it wouldn't have made a difference. I agree with that. I think that was a problem with the book in its entirety. I think there are a whole bunch of characters that McQuiston potentially put in, again, as narrative devices. I think Nora was put there because there was like this problem where it was like, oh, well, who's going to uncover the big twist of the enemy in Richard setting up the first son of the United States. And I think it was like a a process of thinking, well, let's get this data analyst girl who's in this like White House trio. But the character of Nora was never clear in my head. I think June and I think B, Henry's sister, were written really well, really clearly I could see them. Nora felt like someone, I'm still not even clear, why was Nora in the White House? Her dad was a politician. Her dad was the vice president. But we hardly ever heard about we him. We did. I think that was clear from the very start. That might have been like you picking it up and putting it back down, yeah. which is also a kind of an issue if you can't get into the book. But I think with Nora, I felt like her sexuality was pretty glossed over. Like yeah. I didn't really understand what was going on there and how she was grappling with her own identity. Like I was very confused about that. I couldn't actually see the difference very well between Nora and June, to be honest. Mm. The only difference in my head was that June was the sister. So that was the only thing I could separate them from. The British family was so much clearer and I wonder if that's because I could see these characters so well because of the British royal family. Henry, to me, I just kind of modelled off a Prince Harry kind of character. Mm. B was very clear and I don't know why. I picture B so well and I'm trying to wonder why because I'm clearly... an actress. (laughs) I'm imagining someone, like maybe maybe also because her name is Beatrice, that I'm imagining Princess Beatrice, but I'm also kind of imagining like a more mellow Kate Mossy. I don't know. Kate Moss? Not Kate Moss. (laughs) So I'm trying, I can't work it out. If I, if I think about it, I'll get back to you. Philip was really clear to me because it seemed like a very snobby version of Prince William. Mm, yeah. And I could not see Zara. I couldn't see Amy. I couldn't see Cash. Alex, to me, only became really clear in the first one after the first 100 pages. Cash is still an enigma to me. I feel like so many characters in this book, I've recognised the names, but they are completely amorphous. I don't really know what role they played. I just know that they were mentioned a fair bit on like private planes and yeah. stuff. Yeah. One aspect of the book that I thought could have been explained in more detail, particularly when it came to Henry was actually fame and actually the intrusion of the public. I feel like we kind of got some examples of needing to live this private life, but I feel like there wasn't one particular scene where it was really crystal clear just how much it affects your life to be that famous across the world. I feel like there could have been something where he was going through public or trying to get from A to B and physically couldn't get there because the public or the paparazzi were so intense. And I feel like it was always like an omnipresent theme throughout the book that Alex and Henry were so famous they needed to live these very private lives. But I feel like the intrusive aspect of that 
could have been explored more clearly and that would have really aided my view of Henry and Alex. Do you think that Casey kind of assumed that we would draw from real life families like this? Yeah, I really do. It's a bit harder to see though with the American president's kids because when you're thinking about Malia and Sasha Obama, like they were very protected from the public eye. They had nothing to do with their parents and politics and I I just can't really imagine a child of the president being such a fixture in and of themselves. Mm. One thing I did want to touch on very quickly before we move to our last segment is I think that they did a really beautiful job of kind of using emails and texts to sort of push the characters along and the relationships between the characters. But there was a group chat between sometimes Nora, June and Alex and then another group chat between the others that I didn't really understand because I think they used nicknames with each other that I hadn't really understood beforehand. See, I loved that. I I could pick up based on the kimono night who was who and I really loved the group chat. I thought that was the most vivid representation of those characters and their dynamic in the whole book. No, yeah, I'm with Zara. I didn't catch on to those nicknames and I didn't really follow what was happening happening there but I did like the email exchange between Alex and Henry I thought that was really sweet absolutely before we get on to the next segment do we want to all throw out a favorite character we've touched on the ones that didn't quite sit well with us which seems to be Nora across the board and some of those periphery characters my favorite was Henry I know that he had Mm. that very stereotypical like brooding complicated complicated yeah narrative but Henry was my ultimate bae Henry and Alex for me definitely (laughs) I really loved bae I thought B was kind of like no bullshit and was like quite a little hero. I think the only reason that Henry was sane was because of B. So you love Henry because... Because of your character. Yeah, because of my character. Everything's a competition with you two. (laughs) (laughs) And the last voicemail from today is from Grace. I devoured this book in four days flat. I absolutely loved the build-up of the characters and the peak of when they figured everything out and way they connected and that built and grew during the story and I'm a sucker for a happy ending so was thrilled there were so many undercurrents to this about systems and what they allow and how controlling they may be and how you get out of it can you get out of it I thought it was really brilliant and well written Alrighty, friends, it is time to talk about that ending where not only Henry and Alex, of course, ended up together, but Ellen Claremont won the presidential election. Annabelle, what do you think? What did you think of the ending? What did you think of how it all tied itself up? I agree completely with everything Grace said. I'm not sure whether it's because I have this rosy view of the whole book, but the ending wasn't an issue for me either. Like, I think I'd resigned myself to the fact that this book would be completely corny from the beginning. Mm. So I loved they ended up together and I loved that everything was kind of neatly tied up. I, you know what I find frustrating? I took another photo of this as I was reading because I find books so frustrating when they very clearly point to what the twist is going to be and what the resolution is going to be. And I took a photo of this when I was reading last week. I was actually reading this on Monday night, which shows how long it took me to get through this book because the first 150 pages annoyed me so much. I hated that on page 206, after going through the email chain between Alex and Henry, Casey McQuiston wrote, Alex feels like somebody has probably warned him about private email service before, but he's a little fuzzy on the details. It doesn't feel important. I took a photo of that in the moment because I'm like, well, clearly the email servers are going to be leaked to the public. Clearly they're going to have to then go public with everything and then there's going to be this easy resolution anyway. Like I just – I – 
oh, I don't know what it was about this book. It just struck me as so obvious. And I know that maybe that's the point, but I feel like paragraphs like that just do damage when it would have been so much better to have the Easter egg there without being led to it with every fucking breadcrumb possible. I agree with that. I think sometimes authors throw shit in to try and like, like you say, breadcrumb, but it's like, I don't want to be breadcrumbed. Mm. I'd rather this just come out of nowhere. I think because I didn't give a fuck about the political storylines. Every single time I was pulled away from the romance and into the politics, I got kind of bored. I kind of then hated the fact that the whole climax or end of the book was based on the presidency because Mm. I didn't care about that. Obviously she was going to win the election and I wanted the cliffhanger to be a bit better. And I knew the uh, the other option then is the cliffhanger to be like, oh, Alex and Henry are going to end up together. And obviously they were always going to, but I still wanted to know. This is kind of a niche point to make, but now that we're talking talking about the politics. I know that not all the storylines are believable at all and I am the one that's argued that they don't have to be, but I would fucking hate any presidents who had kids working on their campaign. Yeah, yeah. same. I didn't like that at all. I just thought that was a bit... Uh, uh, I don't know. The The political side of this book just really ruined it for me, if I'm honest. Like, even the character of Raphael Luna... He was apparently... No, Annabelle, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What politician is going to jeopardise their entire career to go to a Republican party when they're clearly very progressive and then within that party try to bring it down? It just... What what a storyline. Talk to me. I really liked the way they settled... Raphael Luna's oh storyline. It surprised me that the political part of this book was just as fascinating to me as the romantic part because I was probably just really happy to see someone like Richards, who is so slimy, face actual repercussions for his actions. Mm. And yeah, so that was like a what if scenario. I would be more than happy to see mirrored in real life. So I really liked the way the romance and the politics were intertwined together. There you go, team. All right. Well, very mixed opinions, it appears, but generally we all enjoyed the book most. Ish. Of it. Thoroughly. Thoroughly. <laughs> we adored it. Talk to me. Give me a rating out of 10. Let us start with Michelle. Um, the first 150 pages and no. the last 40 pages get a 1 out of 10 I for need, me. I need just an overall 10. <sighs> the middle gets like a 9. It would balance it all out. A 5.5 out of 10. Annabelle. Whoa, I was going to say eight. Cool, you do you, babe. <laughs> I don't think me. I've ever called anyone babe in my life. <laughs> it really rolled off the tongue. I know, that's the scary part. <laughs> I'm honoured. <laughs> um, I would give it about a six. And I was the one last month that said I would probably end up giving every book about a nine. But I really enjoyed it. Like, I really enjoyed the book. I'm not you know, desperate to read it again, nor am I desperate to read anything similar. I'm Mm. kind of now craving something different, which is great news for us, Kevin. Our August book club pick is The Yield by Tara June Winch. It was the Miles Franklin winner just last month. So we are so, so excited to read this one. Get your hands on a copy if you can and come join us. Absolutely. And if you want to weigh in on next month's episode on The Yield by Tara June Winch, make sure you call our hotline. Again, we'll be giving away some go-to goodies, courtesy of go-to and Zoe Foster Blake. There are books in there, skincare, a whole bunch of stuff you definitely want to get your hands on. So if you want to be featured in the next episode and tell us your thoughts on The Yield, call our hotline, go to shamelessthepodcast.com, click on the hotline box and leave us a message. Thanks, team. Thanks, guys. Woohoo! See See you next month. See you next month. Mish. 
pillow. We wrote a book. It is called The Space Between and it is out on September 1. And do you want to tell the people what it's about? Absolutely. We wrote a book about feeling like an adult but not yet a proper adult. So The Space Between is about that weird bridge of time when you're just trudging your way through, fueled by cheap tacos and even cheaper tequila, trying to figure it all out. Also, Zara, known as your 20s. Also known as your 20s. We did get the sense, though, didn't we, Mish, that written content about being in your 20s was so often written in hindsight when the answers are all there, the kind of neat bows are there. But we wanted to express this stuff as we were in the middle of it, which is always a bit risky when you put your words (laughs) down in the middle of a crisis. But we wrote about things like situationships and falling in love, leaving university, climbing the career ladder, the joys of ghosting out of a party and taking a Euro gap year. We just couldn't seem to find a book that encapsulated the space between adolescence and whatever comes next, so we just wrote it. For all the fun and frivolity, we wanted to make space for more serious topics too. So we talk about the taboos of toxic workplaces, family breakdowns, anxiety, endometriosis, loneliness, consent. Oh, and of course, the fear of taking a pregnancy test when you really, really, really fucking don't want a baby. Because if we were going to write a book about our 20s, you guys, we wanted to write about it all. The silly, the regretful, the glittery, the fun, the important. We have poured our hearts and our souls into these pages and we cannot wait for you guys to get your pretty little hands on them. You can pre-order the space between right now. Head to our show notes for a link. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.